laddie. No big laddie cool this week. Uh, so I'm um, oh. what? No. <laughs> okay. No good. <laughs> You're gonna have to um, leave and come back again. How about now? Just says your bandwidth is low. Wasn't it fine, like, before I started? <laughs> Definitely not fine now. <laughs> That's so... Yeah, well, we're just going to have to do this about Dom. Like, I feel like it was fine, like, when we were chatting. Mm. It wasn't as bad as it is now, but it wasn't great. You've not offended NXT Sammy Callahan. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's great content. That's great content. I feel like we, Dom's internet is so bad. Considering we're in London, Dom's internet is so bad. It's like he's still connected to the Wi-Fi in his parents' home in Australia. <laughs> Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. G'day, scholars, and welcome to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. It's what the nerds are watching. I'm your host, Dom Philp, on the mic. Not too hard, not too soft, but just right. And we are coming to you every single Friday, free of charge on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. Best way that you can support is to rate, review, subscribe. You can tweet it out, Facebook it out, Instagram it out. If you're under 12, you could TikTok it out. You could write to your mum. You could ring your nan. You could act it out in plays with your family and friends for your local community. You could do all those good things. Or why not just send us a message? Hey, why don't you tell us that you listen to this thing? Why don't you tell us that you enjoy it? Why don't you interact with us on the social media? Because that's what this is all about. It's about a wrestling community. It's about trying to be a bit positive. Maybe you've been a little bit down about wrestling like some of us have in the group here at Wrestling Should Be Fun in the last year or so. Speaking out, lockdown, all that shit, right? Maybe you're a little bit negative. Just reach out, say hello to us. We're nice guys most of the time, except for Brummett and Shaffy. But anyway, we're okay here. Uh, we're going to get straight into this. Uh, we'll get stuck into what the nerds are watching. I've been watching you. A la 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 long. A la 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 long, 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 long. Come on. A la 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 long. Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. This is episode 16. It's what the nerds are watching. If you're still with us after a week off last week, thank you very much for your supportership. Um, you're a nerd too. Welcome to the family. This is Don Philp here. I'm here with Matthew Brummett, not Matthew Connolly. Uh, I'm here with the Sultan Shafi, and I'm here with the boss, Ross Casey. Uh, let's get straight into this. Uh, we're on a tight ship this week. Let's go for what the nerds are watching. Fellas, what's the story? Shafi's just watched uh, AEW, what, in an absolute binge, Shaf, was it? Was it yeah, three pretty much. I mean, obviously, you know, every week I come on and crack on about how brilliant AEW is, but I've just been so busy recently that I haven't seen, I hadn't seen Double or Nothing or Dynamite or anything. So I managed to get through all of it sort of yesterday. Uh, what day is it today? Or maybe a couple of days ago. I don't know. Thursday, mate. It's been one of those weeks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Double or Nothing. Um, wow. What can I say? I mean, if we're going to talk about anything, double or nothing has probably been the biggest thing that's happened in the past two weeks. We, of course, got uh, fans back 
at Daly's place without social distancing. Um, I'm not sure what the capacity was, but it, it sounded like a lot more people were there than there were. It sounded brilliant. Um, and I think, you know what, this, I don't want to say it was the greatest pay-per-view of all time because it wasn't, but it definitely came, it was definitely came along at the right time. I mean, we've obviously been going through this pandemic for the last year or so, and this show was just fantastic. And it really reminded me of what a difference fans can make to a show. Uh, I know, obviously, we had fans at Mania, which was great. We had sort of, what, 20,000 in an 80,000-seat stadium, something like that. But this was fully jam-packed, as many people as they could get into this building. They got so many people in that they had to make the entranceway really short, which was fantastic because it meant that Cody couldn't come out with 27 different people. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just, what were your guys' thoughts on Double or Nothing? Well, I think I think Sharon, I've got I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch it around. I've got a quick question for you. So, not favorite wrestling moment, but what was the moment where you were just, I think, encapsulated for you the crowd being back? Was there anything particular like, oh my god, it's great to have crowds back, or just genuinely across the show, really? So, I had to, due to time constraints, I had to watch the show in two parts. Um, and I don't have the greatest memory in the world, but one thing I can say is that three or four times during that pay-per-view, I genuinely got goosebumps on my arm, which is, I think, it's probably because we haven't had fans for so long. We haven't had crowds for so long, but it just, yeah, I mean, even from the beginning, with Hangman's entrance, like, the crowd loved Hangman. Um, yeah, I mean, Jericho's entrance and the fans, you know, singing his theme again. And, the, yeah, there were just several moments through the show mostly like crowd response that just hairs were fully on end um brilliant wasn't it like the the i think the, the two that jumps up to me, one was because i think it was just because it was the pre-show and it was the first match so a we're just not used to crowds and b um it's they weren't like you know they wanted to kind of get all their emotion out but reho serena deeb especially like the finishing stretch was so hot like i was just i I loved that match. And I, I don't know if I loved it because the wrestling was really good. That was probably part of it. I mean, Serena Deeb's fucking brilliant. Um, we'll maybe get to her NWA title match a bit later if we've got time. But um, the, uh, it, sorry, in, in the NWA against Camille, but the but her match, for that, I, thought, I just was so into it. Um, and I think it was because of the crowd. But the other bit was uh, Eddie Kingston and Mox's entrance was fucking red hot they it was just like the most over team like it's like fucking von erics in the fucking sportatorium like it's so red hot like i i loved it i i, I rewatched their entrance like three times i loved it that much it's just and that match by the way is um i think interestingly i think Meltzer gave it a decent rating um but sorry the only reason i mentioned that is because at the time i kind of read a couple of reviews i don't i don't review like see a lot of wrestling reviews but i was just so hyped after that match i thought everyone's going to be going bananas about it and it didn't actually didn't seem to get loads of buzz i think more people were talking about the triple threat match and stuff but the uh, i absolutely adored that tag match um it's definitely up there for my match of the year i thought it was incredible i just thought the the pacing and everything about it and how over it well, obviously, Mox is, is, is obviously over. Eddie was so over with the crowd, and it was incredible to watch. And then, um, and the books just, just I mean, they have settled into this, back into this absolutely 
wankathon books so well, and they were they were fantastic. I I, I adored that match. You raised an interesting point about Eddie um, that I was thinking of. Like he was massively over, and that was something that really came across to me. Um, what's interesting is AEW have had so many people um, debut since the pandemic, where they've had no crowds, and. You'd, it made me realise, seeing how over he was, that you don't really know how over someone is without a crowd. Yeah, great point, yeah. Um, so t- I was surprised by the reaction he got. I knew he would be popular, but not that popular. Like, he was, you know, sort of headline act popular. Um, and yeah, I agree with everything you said on that match. It was way better than I expected. Um, and I checked the rate. I checked the ratings um, after watching the show because I thought, you know, that's, that's going to be around about the five mark. And I was surprised that it, it was a little bit lower than that. But uh, yeah, great stuff. I, I, I thought I, I was going to say that I just like just to jump in because most of my ideas about the whole pay-per-view have been touched on already. Um, the tag match was my favourite match of the night. Um, I, I think that maybe it got lost in the shuffle a bit as far as people's excitement just because of its placement on the card. Um, I think, you know, being the second match on is sometimes a bit tough, but on such a stacked pay-per-view card like they had no other option right but um yeah definitely my favorite match on the card and then i just thought like my big takeaways like you guys are talking about you don't really know who's over without a crowd and i thought that as well like my my major takeaway for the pay-per-view the one thing that i thought i wanted to bring to the table was it was like it's really clear now who the aw homegrown stars are and will be moving forward if it wasn't already I mean, I think, like, I guess everyone already knew that Hangman Page was going to be, like, you know, AEW sort of A1 type of thing. You know, he was going to be the one of the main baby faces forever. But I like when he had his entrance, because like, I've always kind of liked him, but I've never been, like, fully in on him. And just watching his entrance and how the crowd got behind him, I was like, oh, my God, this guy's incredible. And the other two, and people I'm sure are listening to this going, yeah, no shit, Dom, everyone knows this. But I was just blown away by the reactions for Darby Allen um, and the main one, number one, blew me away, Jungle Boy. That that ju- Jungle Boy's entrance, and I think I've said it on a previous pod, I wish I knew which episode it was to go back and prove my point, but Jungle Boy's entrance music was the best money that Tony Khan has ever spent. That like Having the fans sing along to that, it, yeah, it's just so good. He's incredible, mate. Anyway, that were my main things. I, that's all I really had to say on the whole show. But yeah, my like uh, my wife, my wife, um, is um, she like she fucking hates wrestling and like always has a go at me if I bring up wrestling in any in any situation. So I'm usually pretty tempered about it. But sometimes I get so excited and so marky, I've just got to start talking to her about wrestling. And I just start talk, showing her pictures of Jungle Boy and just saying, "How handsome is this man?" And he's just, and as as Dom said, he's, he's going to be such a big star, and he's, and you were spot on with his music. That just so perfect for the crowd, and it's like, oh, I I'm just I'm just so giddy about him. Like, so because I get, I guess, are you guys familiar with the Four Pillars concept of AEW? So where they talk about like the full because Adam Page doesn't Hangman doesn't fall into it because he was like you know, big before without H and New Japan. Obviously not to the level he is now, but they talk about Jungle Boy, Sammy, Darby and MJF as like 
the, the four pillars of like AEW, like the, the young guys that kind of brought in and made their careers. And obviously Darby, I know him and he was he was red hot at his, the end of his uh, Evolve run from the um, Ethan Page feud. But like um, for kind of a, a larger audience, that they're, they're, they're kind of seen as the four. Um, and I think it's really cool because they're, they're all like fucking back to the hilt by AEW, like no pausing on their pushes. It's like these guys are fucking big, big, big deals. Completely agree. I think what was interesting, um, so for me, with the exception of, I suppose, Jericho and Cody, Jericho, Cody and Mox are probably the the most obvious ones. But like what's really fresh about AEW is the, the people who are most over, you wouldn't necessarily associate with WWE. Because either they haven't been there, or that's not sort of where they were made, um, which just gives it like a really fresh feel. So someone like Jungle Boy, what I thought what was particularly interesting is that in the the finishing stretches he was against Christian, um, who's obviously a massive star from the Attitude Era, has been massively over, has been in TNA, and has been everywhere. But Jungle Boy was more over than Christian, to the like, point Christian was being booed. You know, like that's that's crazy. That's 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 definitely that crowd telling Tony Khan, "Don't turn this company into Tim, well, into what TNA turned out in like 2010 or whatever." Yeah, but which, which I think is a very valid point, Ross. And that's you know, I mean, WWE have been releasing all these these great talents. Obviously, Alistair Black and Samoa Joe and Buddy Murphy and Andrade and. You know, some of them, obviously Andrade's just come in on Dynamite and and no doubt some more will come in. But getting that balance right is so important because that's exactly what we don't want. We don't want it to to become like TNA became, um, where it's a second-rate WWE because what they've got is so much better than that. You know, people who, you know, are not played out when it comes to the main stage, people like Hangman Page who have never been on a, you know, a big show. Uh, Omega's obviously only been on a big show in Japan. Um, so yeah, 100% with you on that one. And, 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 and I, I think, sorry, go on, Dom. No, I was just going to say, and I just absolutely love like the idea of like, there's still so many fresh matchups for those guys as well. Like, I mean, I know it's the second time they wrestled Hangman and Brian Cage, but it felt like it was their first matchup, you know, on pay-per-view and opening in front of a crowd. And it was just like, wow, like that's a fresh matchup. How many more of these fresh matchups do we still have? You know, Sammy hasn't scratched the surface yet, has he? MJS got so much more to do. Like, it's just, yeah, it's like that's the other thing about not just bringing in WWE guys to work with WWE guys. Like, we just have so many fresh matchups still with, with these talents. And, and, and I think it's why, I mean, they're pointing to doing Christian Matt Hardy, I think, from AW at the moment. Like, absolutely, utterly fuck off. I've got zero interest in that being on the screen. And actually, I was, you know, like, no disrespect to Christian at all, or Matt Hardy. You know, both of them, who I've definitely liked at points in their career. Christian has obviously worked his fucking ass off um, to, you know, get in shape. And, and, and also, he's not like any, not an ego guy. He's, he looks like he's happy to put, put the kids over. And that's all really good. But I would still rather not have either of them in in AEW, and I think to talk about, to, to kind of extend on Ross's point about about the fans wanting that, I am, um, Shafi dropped some names. 
Tommy End, Samoa Joe, um, obviously Andrade, obviously there. Yeah, bring them in. Happy to see those guys work with people like uh, fucking good workers who didn't, who maybe haven't got the shine that they did in, in WWE. But like, fucking, if you see like Braun Strowman turn up, like, utterly fuck off. Absolutely, utterly fuck off. Like, and they've, they've got to get that balance right. And I, I really, really hope they do. Because, like, someone like, I don't know, like Jungle Boy again, maybe dropping a place on the card so they can fit in some like Braun Strowman is, is, would be criminal. Um, yeah. And obviously they haven't done that very much, but I think there is, there's a definite risk. So um, I just, I just hope they, they, they get it right. Yeah, I mean, they don't really need someone like Braun Strowman because on this show we had like a, a Hoss match and it was brilliant. Yeah. With Archer and Miro. That was way better than I expected. Yeah, me too. And, and you know, I slag off Archer all the yeah. time. That's actually the most impressed I've ever been with Lance Archer, that match. And I totally forgot about it until he mentioned it because he, he had a good match with Will Ospreay. Like, oh yeah, that's hard. You know what I mean? Like him and Miro having that. And, and, and he had you know, really good impression performance in that match and I think that match really did get lost in the shuffle on the card but I, I definitely I was and I was particularly impressed by Archer's performance in that match yeah. I, to be honest that's kind of the theme for this pay-per-view in general uh, my summary of this pay-per-view in general would be that everything apart from the main event exceeded my expectations like every single match on this card exceeded my expectations what was it do you call the well, I was going to say, do you call the main event the stadium stampede or the triple threat? Uh, well, the main event, which is stadium stampede. Yeah, I was just checking because I know I've like, talked about ratings before. I know some like wrestling analysts, some wrestling analysts don't give a star rating to the stadium stampede, so I didn't know if it counted as your main event. Sorry, that was a no, no, it's it's cool. Um... Yeah, to be honest, so after watching the uh, the title match, the triple threat match, which was again brilliant, um, I looked I looked at the pay per view, and there's still like an hour left, and I knew I'd already you know seen a spoiler, so I knew Mark Henry was going to come out, but I was like, they've done all the matches, so how is there still an hour left? I completely forgot about the stadium stampede, <laughs> which which is a testament to how good this pay per view was that I forgot about the main event. And I actually think that it, it, the pay-per-view would have been just as good without the main event. Um, that yeah. was probably the only thing that didn't really live up to expectations. And and for, it's for the reasons that we've discussed previously in the pod. You know, they've kind of booked that feud backwards where the Stadium Stampede match is a bit of fun and the Blood and Guts match is the, is the feud ender and they've just sort of gone in the wrong direction with that, but... Yeah, AW to give them credit are, and something that they do like way better than WWE in my opinion is um, having the having the feud dictate the booking rather than having like the events dictate <laughs> dictate the booking. Um, that was that was one where they definitely got it wrong. They were like, "We're going to run Stadium Stampede at double or nothing. We need to have something that works. Let's take this feud." Not only a step backwards, but a step in the complete uh, like wrong direction. And it was great that Sammy got the shine. And 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 I know people will say, you know, that coupled with Sammy doing basically making the call for for the Jericho moment all links in very well. 
but just the kind of the the excitement of the feud. It's almost like that blood and guts never happened, and it, for for the reasons that you said. And I think I think that's a real disappointment. But it's not like a huge big thumbs down. But I think it's definitely a, a booking misstep, which they're going to pay the price for. I think um, the the only reason I can think of that they did it this way is that they wanted to end the show on a feel good moment. Yeah. You know, they didn't want to send the fans home on Kenny sort of cheating to win. And they couldn't have blood and guts on the show because Inner Circle weren't going to win. Yeah. So this was the one way of sort of sending them home, you know, with Jericho's music playing, the Inner Circle are going to stay together. They're the faces, you know, we get that feel good moment. And you know what? I mean, who am I to criticize that when that is exactly what I complained about WrestleMania, that we didn't get that in the, in the, the second night main event um, or, or in the opener with uh, Drew and Lashley. So maybe I'm just never satisfied. <laughs> and and did, did you have any hot thoughts on either of the Dynamites, Chef? I think just before we go to Dynamite, I think there's a big match we need to discuss from Double or Nothing, given that we gave it so much play in the build-up. And that is, of course, Mr. Agogo versus... Oh, fuck, of course. Cody Rhodes. What, what a stacked card this was. So much that you just forget about, yeah. I mean, we haven't spoken about Darby and Sting or, no. you know, just... Oh, Britt Baker winning the title. Exactly. <laughs> like, what a card. <laughs> what a pay-per-view. Um... Cody, I think my frustrations with Cody are that out of everyone on the roster, he's probably got the one with the most potential star power. Mm. You know, the one that can, you know, can be the face of the brand and could go on those sort of talk shows and, you know, be their Cena almost. Yeah. Um, but he's so difficult to like. And I just, he just, to me, like, he just is completely devoid of psychology. Like the, everything he does, nothing makes sense, which is just incredibly frustrating. All the way down to obviously we've spoken previously about his complete misunderstanding of what the face role is and how you're not a face if you're the the one with privilege and you have 28 people in your entourage and you got Snoop Dogg singing your song and you got all this other nonsense. Um, but even on the on the dynamite before this show, they did a weigh in for this match, and which I don't mind. Like the, the concept is fine. Big show obviously didn't know how to use the scales, which is no great surprise, but um, they had to weigh in and they both got down to their boxer shorts. Now, as someone who follows combat sports, people only really do that when they're not going to make weight or when they're quite close to the weight limit. So they take clothes off to, to ensure that they hit the weight limit, but there's, there was no weight limit for this match. So it was just Cody gratuitously getting down to his boxer shorts for no apparent reason, um, which I just sort of feel like is is Cody all over. Um, I I get the overwhelming feeling that if Cody's booking was happening in WWE, we would be massively deriding the writers um, for the situations that he puts himself in and the way that he acts in, acts in them because it's just so confusing how he's a face at times. Well, I, I think I've gone the other way on Cody, actually. That I've got a theory, and you, you might laugh it out of the building. Have any of you guys seen the TV series Boys? Or is it called The Boys? It's like a, a superhero TV series. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Um, and 
basically the whole premise of it is that like the superheroes are like the bad guys really that they're all like that they, they come out of these heroes who are doing all things but in the background they're all wankers um and cody now like looks like the main guy from it like the main bad guy this guy called homelander who's this big super patriot blonde-haired superhero who like is actually just a fucking sociopath and and Cody's obviously well into his comics and stuff, and he's got to be way more self-aware than we're giving him credit for. And like, and and and, and recently, the past year has just not not lined up with the Cody Rhodes we knew from before. So it could be that he's just gone mad and he's a and he's a delusional wanker, or it could be that he's going along with this, and this is gonna be, and he's gonna be this absolute fucking crazy bastard, and it's gonna lead to him being the heel world champion and going against the clause because he's doing it for America or whatever. Um, and to build this huge monster wanker heel and hence with all his big entourage and everything like that, where he in his head is this super Patriot world champion that everyone loves, but everyone just fucking hates him. And that I, my, I now I've tipped and that's where I think they're going in probably in 2022 with Cody. Um, but, I'm, I may just be completely wrong and he might just be a delusional idiot. See, I, I was thinking along those lines, not the not the superhero stuff previously, but I just I don't give him that much credit anymore. To be honest. I don't think that it's... <laughs> I thought it was fully meta before and it's, you know, almost like a little wink at the camera. Yeah. But I don't... I just don't give him that much credit anymore. The but other... The, the other, like, I, I was, a, yeah, I'm the same as Shaf. Like, Shaf was probably the first person I heard mention out loud that it was, he's going to be a, a meta, it, it's tongue-in-cheek and it's it's satire, actually. There's that buzzword, satire, that all our Instagram followers love. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, the I don't really know. The other problem that I see with it is, like, if he starts kind of being ultra patriotic and you know maybe a bit xenophobic which we've seen the seeds planted already like is that definite are people actually going to start treating that as a heel character again i have to like go right over the top otherwise there is going to be a pocket of the audience that will just keep cheering right yeah, well, well i mean they, the people stuff isn't it yeah well they elected a president on that basis so <laughs> Maybe that's his plan. He's going for that Trump run. Do you think um I'm I'm reading a fair bit on Twitter that they've reckon that um Cody is gonna be in a feud with Nick Aldis and, and they're gonna do the third match? Do you think that it's gonna be another the kind of Britain versus USA play in NWA? I, I I mean I'm not particularly patriotic, but I'd rather not have Nick Aldis representing our country. <laughs> well that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because Cody's character is basically what Nick Aldis is in NWA, isn't it, really? Yeah. yeah. God, is, is anyone clamouring for Aldis Cody 3? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be bang up for a um, Camille Brandy uh, tag. I'd really like it if on an episode of Dynamite in the lead-up, for the build-up, they had an American Gladiators competition between the two of them. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Cody, what can we say? I mean, the match, Agogo was way better than I expected. Yeah. Um, like he was, you know, 
for a guy with two matches, he was he was very good. Um, and Cody, like to be fair to him, he's he's done really well having these sort of freak show matches. Uh, his match with Shaq was way better than it should have been, um, for me at least. And this match, a go go, was way better than I expected. There was also um, that. There's also that SummerSlam with the uh, superhero bloke. Uh, what is Stephen he? Amell? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you he know, so heroes. He's going to be Homelander. Yeah, <laughs> so he's, you know, in the ring, it was fine. Um, Cody, I, just, I, I could talk about him for hours. Um, I don't think he realizes that he's not the first person in history to be expecting a child. <laughs> Like it was a bit weird to <laughs> add that to his entrance. Like he's a grandson of a plumber, you know, the son of a common man and a father to be. Um, is it what, what was that? What, what was the show? Is it what was that film? It's like Children of Men or something, where the whole yeah. like, dystopian future where people can't have babies. Maybe that is like a, we missed that episode of Dark Elevation, where that's the universe that basically everyone lives in 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 AW, and that Cody's the first person of the, the last generation that can have a baby. I think, like, like, to me, it just, even though maybe it's supposed to make him more relatable, but actually makes me hate him more. Because <laughs> yeah. it just, I don't know. He's just not sympathetic or relatable at all. Because I don't know about you, Brum. Like, we both obviously had kids last year. And for me, once you, once you find out your partner's having a child, that's a really nervous time. Like, because there's always that little thought in your back of the head that, you know, what if something goes wrong or what if I wouldn't be having someone announcing it, you know, until the baby's born and everything goes okay. And the child's okay. And mom's okay. Personally, I would be sort of keeping it quite close to the chest. So. Yeah. Oh, no, I completely agree. Cause there's definitely when you start, like, see stuff like that and that's like, it's awful. Cause everyone like kind of deals with things in different ways. But I, I always cringe a little bit when I hear like kind of over, over sharing about like, not about the pregnancy and we're going through and everything like that. Cause you know, obviously, so the, the mum gets support, but in terms of about the future baby, cause it, it just, it really like smacks of like the patriarchy for me as well. Like, it's just like, Oh yeah, I'm a dad. I'm having a kid. Aren't I fucking great? And you're like, what? Like, is that the angle you're taking? Like, and it's, yeah. And it's just also like, Oh yeah, this, this like, this, my wife's brilliant, like just because she's like the vessel of your child rather than her just being like an incredible woman standalone and what she's going through and everything. I don't know if I'm wording it well, but I've, it's always something that rankles with me a little bit. But I am just really looking forward to all the sleepless nights he's going to get. Just go, going back to the match, um, what I didn't re- understand is... So they're playing this angle that obviously a go is a boxer, Cody's a wrestler. Like it was really weird that he won with a vertebraker. Yeah. Like really weird. And it wasn't really the- that impact like the way they did it, it was almost like Cody held him in position for about three seconds, sort of asked him if he's okay. Have you tucked your head? Okay, yeah, we're gonna go down now. Like it wasn't very sudden or impactful. I just thought that it would have made more sense if Cody would have they're saying he's got this rib injury. If Cody could have caught him in some sort of submission that was not that sort of mainstream, so he wouldn't have trained on the escape, he didn't know how to get out of it, he was already weakened, it would have got across that, you know, 
you might be good and you might know how to do a frog splash, but this is wrestling and I've been doing this, you know, my whole life. And you're still new to this sort of thing. I understand. I, I don't know if you can hear me, hopefully. I, I didn't understand the frog splash. I thought I just, yeah, I, I, th- I thought they were just a couple little bits that I, I was like a bit disconnected from. And the finish was one. It felt rushed. I, I wondered if something had gone wrong with like, and, and Cody just goes, okay, go home, go home. Because I, and you could see when a go-go went to the top rope, he, there was like a split second and maybe it was brilliant, like storytelling. Maybe it was because I'm a boxer. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, let's try this top rope thing. But there was like a little split second where he looked a bit lost to me and then he went up the top. And I was sort of like, oh, this just felt a bit funny. Like it was like they were building to something, building to something in the match. And then all of a sudden, like my memory of it is like frog splash, Cody kicks out, vertebraker one, two, three. It was, it was like, a, for me, maybe I'm, not just, maybe I'm not just smart enough to understand the storytelling, but it felt a bit weird to me. I, I, I think, Don, my only my, my point against that, and it's, it's a good point, but is that the vertebraker for me doesn't feel like a quick go home finish. Like, I think that'd be a bit risky, no matter what, what is wrong, you know, to kind of, to, yeah, to put someone in that situation. Yeah. I mean, I, it, was I, a, it was an odd choice anyway, wasn't it? Like, as yeah. a move, it was an odd choice. Yeah. But in general, I think the, the frog splash, I put it down to, and this always happens in green celebrity wrestler matches it's like look at this trick that i can do even if it's completely irrelevant to the like the psychology or the pacing of the match it's like we've got to get him doing a frog splash because he can't really do a lot but he can do a, a good frog splash that's he how had i had a snoop or a six one six one on he had a rib injury what's the most american move the torture rack come on guys <laughs> cody's what? got a bus as well hasn't he what <laughs> My only, my only thought about the finish with the vertebraker was I wondered if there was like a more intricate story about that like links all the matches where Cody has used that as the finish. Like I know he's used it before. It wasn't his first time, but I was like, I was even like trying to think, I'm like, okay, so when does he use that? Like there must be, I wonder if he's playing the long game and there's like some sort of story about which matches he uses that. As a finishing, so the uh, the title match, I just the AEW title match. I just want to bring Ross in and hear what he thought about that. That's the one match that I didn't actually watch. I was, uh, <laughs> I was. <laughs> we've we've been talking without you for half an hour. I try and get you involved, Ross. I give you a lovely juicy match, <laughs> but I did watch the. But I did watch the like. The like clipped two minute version on YouTube, um, and I loved the fact that uh, they seem to get the crowd with the false falls. Like I don't know if you guys bought them as well, but like it, but but in terms of the of the live crowd, and it, and in particular the one where um, Orange Juice um, threw out Pack and tried to steal the win, that was pretty cool. Omega was never really losing, but but the fact that they managed to get the fans to, to believe it, like, fair play. Uh, they're three fucking... This is a very cold take. They're three fucking smooth wrestlers, aren't they? Jesus. I, I didn't like that much as much the tag match because I didn't think there was much emotion in there, but for, like, technical, like, good fucking wrestling. Jesus Christ. If ever there's a blueprint for rehabbing a wrestler's image and sort of pushing them towards their potential... 
I feel like Pack might be it because he's gone from you know being a cruiserweight champion who did lose the belt the belt to Enzo. Yeah. So he's gone from that sort of lower mid card to he looks fully you know he looks comfortable in the main event here. Yeah. You know he looks believable. Um. Yeah. Later Pack though, like he he has that character down, and he did it first in the in the WWE. Yeah. And they just let him go. Like they had it in the palm of their hands. It's not like sometimes they they don't even like see what the potential is. They saw it. He was doing exactly the same stuff that he's doing now. Yeah. But they just didn't realize it. Because no one no one was watching 205 Live except for me. <laughs> I miss those blogs. I, I was just going to say, obviously, double. Um, I don't know what, what you guys thought, but I thought double or nothing was really hot, but the Dynamites either side of it were pretty lackluster. Um, yeah, the double or nothing before Dynamite was nothing special. And the one afterwards, um, you know, we got Andrade, which was cool. Um, the tag match with the Bucks and Penta and Pack was really good. Um, to be honest, I haven't actually seen the main, but it was Dustin versus Nick Camarado. And to me, that's that's AW Dark all day long. You know, so. Because is that because I don't really understand all these American sports things, but. It's, it's the NBA is on or something. So that was at like that match was actually eleven o'clock US time or something maybe. So no one was watching it. So that's why they put it on last. I, I'm not. I'm sixty four percent sure that that's what happened. But um, someone there's probably American people shouting at the screen. But or the headphones. Who are these wrestling fans that can't stay up to eleven p.m. to watch some wrestling? They'd never hack it over here. <laughs> Um, so I, I haven't seen either of the dynamites that you're mentioning because in the UK it's normally on on a Friday night, but because it's been preempted in America, they pushed it back to like Tuesday and Wednesday the following week. So it's it's just been too late for me to watch. Like it's you know it's already been and gone. The pay per view's been on for the one before it and for the one after it. I mean it was just on like last night, and I'm like, well, I feel like I'm two weeks behind in programming now. You need to get on Fight TV, Dom. It's the best £3.50 you'll spend every month. Are you kidding? Have you seen Dom's internet? That's not me talking. There's someone outside my house yelling. Sorry. <laughs> you're not, you're not uh, podcasting from school again, are you, Dom? <laughs> I think my internet would be a lot better if I was. <laughs> Even five-year-olds are mugging you off as they walk past. <laughs> I know. Um, I. I, I love I gonna... <laughs> people, people walk around Walthamstow like, "Hey, look, mummy, we've seen the big apple, the big pineapple, and the big man." <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a tourist attraction around here. The big man. I know that I um mentioned it briefly in in the pod chat and then um, got rid of it because it was a spoiler. Um, but I'm really hoping that um, AEW bring in both Ric Flair and Tessa to be with um, Andrade. That would be pretty cool, I think. Tessa? Yeah. 
Tessa and Ric Flair. What, what, what's the Tessa thing, sorry? Well, it would be a Blanchard and Flair. And Andrade's trying to be kind of like, have you seen his his Instagrams with like with Ric Flair as like the um, son-in-law, basically? It's really fun. Like, I just, to be honest, I think Tessa, she's just scorched earth at the moment, isn't she? I don't know if they really need that sort of negative. Like, it seems like any excuse to jump on P- uh, on uh, AEW, you know, is whether it's the ending, you know, with the, the exploding ring or, you know, people obviously shit on blood or guts because, you know, Jericho didn't die. I just think bringing in someone like Tessa is probably, you know, the the negatives outweigh the positives. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's pretty even. They've got some pretty... Like ropey people in there, like Jericho in himself, you know. But but I think but there's there's different things. So there's obviously yeah, like what. But the, but it's about it's about impact on the locker room. And Tessa is also is seen as being incredibly apparently you know uh, very toxic in the locker rooms. So it's like you know AEW. A lot of the the buzz coming out of it is they've got a really positive locker room and whatever. Do they want to introduce Tessa to that? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. They've they it seems like they uh um have definitely harbored uh, a sort of family style atmosphere, which obviously we saw with the stuff with um Brody Lee and Negative One, etc. So I think you're right on that. Well well, if she can't behave and her dad's there, when when can she behave? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure they're going to be bringing in Magnum TA. <laughs> uh, have you seen anything else recently, Ross? Can so, you know what? Can someone tell me what this GCW stuff is? Because I've 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 sort of heard tidbits, but I've got no idea who's involved or. So can you maybe break that down for me? Yeah, so, so George Championship Wrestling, like in the 70s, 80s, it was really hot. God and Soli, you absolutely <laughs> love him. Great commentator. Just, just, just rope him in or we're going to get three hours of content here from Rob. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ross, do you want to explain the um, the the Matt Cardona, Nick Gage thing? You, you, you must have seen that clip, mate. Yeah, have you not seen it, Sean? No. So, you know, um, you know what GCW is, right? Uh, it used to be Jerry Janela's promotion or something like that. Is that pretty close? Much, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, it's kind of um a, an underground wrestling promotion that's been going for, for for quite a few years, and it's starting to pick up a fair amount of traction. Um, with the likes of Mox and stuff, obviously, um, being on the shows recently, and Nick Gage has been calling out Moxley. Um, Moxley has t- has has like shown up. I think three times now on GCW shows, um, and and each time there's been a small interaction with 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 Nick Gage, and the last one there was an actual like physical interaction, um, and Nick Gage um, had a match and um, was doing a kind of like I want Mox kind of promo to the point where because it's Nick Gage he smashes a a light tube over his own head. <laughs> and then um, a masked man appears in 
what kind of looks a bit like the knight's outfit from like Survivor Series 93, a little bit. Classic. Um, and he's doing the like mox mannerisms, you know, like how he rolls his shoulders. The, the three turn up, don't they? Like, I, I thought it was the druids to like do a touch because mox was one of the taker druids, wasn't he? Years ago, I thought that was what the the nod was to. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. Because there were three druids, and he takes out the two smaller ones, doesn't he? First. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I did miss that bit. Um, yeah. And uh, he does the kind of the mox mannerisms and. Obviously, the the like cr- the crowd clock it because it was dead on, um, and they're losing their shit. And then um, he, he gets um, Nick Gage in the Dirty Deeds, hits him with it, and and like gets up, and everyone's going wild. And then he takes the hood off, and it's Matt Cardona, <laughs> and and the crowd dies on his ass. <laughs> no, because Matt Cardona has been been like having a go at Nick. Like they've been having Twitter beef as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was amazing though. Like the crowd were hot about it. And like, and Matt Cardona has now been like uh, describing himself as like an ECW original. It's so, it's like, oh, it's just, it's all done so well, like to build yep. up to this. this, this I, I absolutely cannot stand Matt Cardona at all. I cannot stand Deathmatch Wrestling. I've got zero interest in Nick Gage. But if Nick Gage is going to, Give Matt Cardona some of the David Arquette treatment. That's something I can get on board with. <laughs> Did he give you a bad action figure recommendation? <laughs> oh, he's a mess of Belland. <laughs> <laughs> woo, 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 chef. He, he's he's really like he's really embraced it. Like he's made merch that's like like MDK merch, but it's like complete, like it's like different words and all this sort of stuff. It's, it's really good. Like it's, it's great stuff. Yeah. He's, he has, he has, I think for this, I'm, I'm with uh, Jeff. I, I was not particularly interested in seeing Matt Cardona do much stuff, but this was, I think one of my kind of highlight moments of the year in wrestling so far. I thought it was just uh, everything done so well. And let's uh-huh. say, I love the ECW original comment. I think that's so cool. One that I thought, one that I thought was really funny was he was on um, Bubba Ray Dudley's radio show. I don't listen to it, but I just got a clip of it on Instagram, and he described the GCW fans as the GCW universe, which <laughs> like, he obviously did on. Per- <laughs> it's just outstanding. It, like, it was just a great one. <laughs> that's class. Yeah, that's really good. So, yeah. so do we think that he's finally found his level? Who do you think? Who do you think would have been a more over world champion, Matt Cardona or four-time world champion Sheamus? Sheamus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not about this life that people are calling out Sheamus for not being a true champion. Bullshit. I didn't say he's not a true champion. I just said, has there been any other world champions that have had four title reigns and a, and a less of a star? Like, I love him as a wrestler. His matches have been brilliant. He's battering everyone. You know, like, there's no issues with that at all. Um, his Mania match was great. Um, but he's not really that, you know, Cena, Reigns, that sort of level, is he? Yeah. I think probably the closest to him that I can think of with four Reigns would be Edge. Because I think for at least Edge's first couple of reigns, he and I was a huge Edge fanboy, so this isn't a knock on Edge. But I think as he, he didn't feel like a mega star, I didn't think for his first couple of reigns, he felt like a, a like a, a B plus player for want of a better term. 
But the irony is, when he the first time he won the belt, he massively popped the ratings. I didn't right. know that. Is that true? Yeah, like he, the ratings went up massively, wow, and they still took the belt. Even... They still took the belt off him after three weeks. Wow, yeah, the, that was the first chamber match, right? Yeah, New Year's Revolution. Just, just the it was also the first Money in the Bank cash in as well, right? So that that's just an incredible concept that WWE created. You know, like the, the concept was great as well the first time. It's probably not as great now. They've done it forty eight times. I, I'm going to be. I know this probably doesn't doesn't surprise people and maybe this is a one for a round table another day but i fucking hate the concept of money in the bank absolutely detest it in any promotion any of the rip-offs about it i think it undermines what wrestling should be about did you prefer feast or fired well that's what yeah that's what it's all about massive feast or fired fanboy but I just fucking I hate stuff like that. I, I and, and I get why it works for us. And obviously the moments around it have been very good. And I mean another incredible one is the obviously the Del Rio cash in that didn't happen at Money in the Bank 2011. Oh <laughs> yeah, I forgot that. <laughs> but but, uh, but yeah, I just fucking hate Money in the Bank as a concept because it's like wrestling. Like it's like presenting matches like this is a, a simulated sport. Like that would happen like in in UFC. Oh, in football, you won't go, all right, Chelsea won the Champions League, but oh no, like RB Leipzig have got their, their their briefcase and they all run on while all the Chelsea players are knackered and then they've got five minutes to see who scores the goal first and Leipzig won the Champions League. Like, what? That's not how the format of these things work. That's insane. Someone... I just imagine, I can imagine you cutting a promo, Brummett, the Triple H style promo. I'm not ready for this. I watch videotape to prepare for all of my matches. I can't prepare for this fucking wanker with a briefcase. But true. You, you have people have camps in these in these match in, the, in these situations. I uh, yeah. Sorry. Anyway, we won't finish this pod if I rant about Money in the Bank for twenty minutes. Um, when I've still got about another seventeen wrestling shows that I've seen in the last two weeks. Um, do we have? Do we have to talk about New Japan? Yeah, we do. We do, right? Um, yeah, fucking fuck New Japan, right? Do you want me fuck New Japan, right? Here's one for you. Wrestle Kingdom 5. So what you're looking at? January 2011, is that right? January 2012, January 2011? Yeah, January 2011. Tanahashi beats Kojima, right? In the, in like to end like what's like the last reign of the old guard, right? In the following eight years after that, oh, it's actually... Um, like 11 reigns over five different champions. So only five, in that period, so from Wrestle Kingdom 5 to, um, like, for the next, like, eight years, Wrestle Kingdom 13, or 12, 13, you have, you have Tanahashi, Akada, AJ Styles, uh, Naito, and Kenny Omega. That's it over an eight-year period. That's how you, all five top stars in their own way, right? And that is how you build a fucking world title. In the last two and a half years, which I probably don't need to remind everyone, we've had a fucking pandemic, right? The there has been like so like not as much wrestling as, as, as there would. There's been nine different world champions in two and a half years, over ten fucking reigns. Like it's just like it just shows like how much that belt means fuck all now. And and do you know what's so sad about it? I love Shingo. I've adored Shingo for, for so long. Even predating his New Japan run, I loved him in Dragon Gate. He's incredible. He and he's been maybe the best wrestler in the world since the pandemic. And yet, his crowning moment in what's a really good match with with Okada, 
um, is just a man, don't really give a shit. Same with the last one. Same with Osprey. You know, first British world champion, or whatever you want to want to call it. Um, like fucking, I was just like, man, don't really care because like that belt's a prop and and a, and a shit prop at that. While New Japan for years, that belt meant so much. And I know we I know we talked about it a bit last week, so I don't know over dwelling it, but. I think, and I know this reign, people turn around and say, oh yeah, but you know, Osprey got injured, what else are we going to, they're going to do? It's not about the booking of a card of Shingo, but that's, that's fine, but it's just showing that a match like a card of Shingo, which had Shingo winning the title, would be a thing if you told me about even like two years ago, three years ago, I'd have been like, oh my God, like inject it into my veins. I kind of watched it like half-heartedly being like, all right. Um, which is wild, because to even yeah, even like said two or three years ago, I was obsessed with New Japan, and now it's I'm so fucking bored with it. That card as well, like for a Dominion card, like it was just so underwhelming, like sad really. Which is it's just it's just all really sad when I think of New Japan these days. Um, uh, I've not um, seen like any of it, but Pete Hitchcock was raving about uh, New Japan strong recently. Oh, I'm actually behind on New Japan Strong, but I won't be. Yeah, because the because um, Lawler as Lawler Dickinson happened yet. I really want to watch like, that. Match. Like I, like, I literally haven't seen one thing of it. But but I was just about to say, like, if that's the sort of stuff that's impressing at the moment, maybe that's the, like the saving grace of, of New Japan. Like, just move that stuff into their real world. Yeah, it's not very Japanese, though, is it? Well, well, like actually, when you think about it, the big boom of Japanese wrestling post Okada versus Tanahashi was the usage of people that weren't that weren't just Japanese. Yeah, no, fair, fair point. Fair point. It's just yeah, I just it's almost bad. Like, I don't like talking about it. it; makes me sad. Well, I do know. I know that. I know. I know that. Like to speak in big, big laddie cool's um, absence. He like he's been trying to sort of just about hold a candle for a while and be like, no, maybe it'll come back, you know. And I think this week he sent a drunken text to me that said, "You're right, Brummett, it's dead." Hmm. So like, if big if big lady cool's jumping off the ship, you know, he's like the violin players on the Titanic. So yeah, it's well because because I, I, obviously it was my prediction at the start of the year that it was just yeah it was going to go on a massive downslide, and I just can't believe how quick and how horrible it's been i'm not I'm, I'm usually a smug little cunt but i'm not even gonna pat myself on the back for that one i'm just sad it's happened like I was th- sorry go on russ i was just about to say like with the idea of strong potentially saving the promotion you could actually kind of clear out the kind of world that they live in for the last 10 years with like the chaos the bullet club the all the all the other kind of factions that everyone lives in like maybe it's time to just kind of like end that world and like start something fresh and new. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's something that I mentioned a, a while back. I'm completely for that, Ross. A total reset. Um, and you could have like uh, you could have a massive pay per view called something like End of an Era or whatever. And basically, you can have a huge, massive faction warfare pay per view, but with the idea that one team gets to stay alive. But I think I think my suggestion at the time was actually what you do is you end it where it's all a draw because of a run-in from like an, like a, a young lion stable and then mm-hmm. caught the pride or whatever. And then you basically eliminate all the other old factions and only have uh, those guys remaining. Well, actually, there's like, there's your perfect booking for bringing in Strong. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Now you're next. It, it, the faction should be led by Wade Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> Are you trying to say that my idea might not be that original, Dom? <laughs> because I, 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 I also, I also had a bit where. Um, uh, where Shota Umino was gonna was 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 was, was gonna choke out Rocky Romero on commentary. <laughs> I was thinking the other day that it feels like New Japan had to die so that we could have AEW. Um, I know that it's not directly related, but it just feels like having a great American promotion and a great Japanese promotion at the same time, you know, would just have been too much of a blessing for us. Um. Yeah, it's kind of sad, and obviously the AEW, a lot of them have come from New Japan. Um, yeah, the, actually, the core. actually, the creation of AEW might have actually been the very start of the end. Really, it's not the forbidden door; it's the forbidden baton. Yeah, fair point, Jeff. Yeah, good shout. Uh, well, this this chat's been quite depressing, hasn't it? Well, Adam Cole's <laughs> been really entertaining in other news. <laughs> Tell so us not, about Adam Cole. Not this week's NXT, but last week's NXT. Adam Cole cut the most red-hot promo on Karrion Cross, and it got me really excited for Adam Cole in NXT again, even though it just means Karrion Cross. It's, it's basically um, NXT doing an in-your-house in show, and it's going to be a five-way main event with... Cross, Cole, Dunn, Johnny G, and um, Kyle O'Reilly. So, which Cross is going to win, obviously. But um, so I wasn't really that interested for it. But Adam Cole was has just been—he's so fucking good on the mic. He is—I know again, Cole takes it. But um, I'd yeah, I'd try and I'd try and find that if you guys haven't watched it, and um, it's definitely worth watching. I've heard he's not too hard, not too soft, but just right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Brum, did you see the tag match that pitted um, Shotzi and Moon against Raquel and yeah. Dakota? Yeah, yeah. The the small parts where it was Raquel and Ember Moon together, those two have got chemistry. Wow, yeah. Ember Moon looked unbelievable. But what, what what I can't get around is like literally in the space of like a month, Ember Moon has just shed so much ring rust. Like, went from being like, oh, like watching her, and she's like, not quite there yet, to just looking so good. Um, and their, uh, yeah, their world title match is going to be, their women's title match is going to be so good, I think. Yeah, I'm really, from, the small, really from the small kind of trailer that, that we saw two weeks ago. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I absolutely love when a, when a wrestler is a, as good a base for, for their opponent as, like, Raquel is like 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 Cesaro is for so many wrestlers, yeah. And Moon just moves around her just beautifully, yeah. And that stunt. Um, I don't know if that was this or last week, but the the kind of the eclipse from the power bomb or what spot I think yeah, was, yeah. was a perfect example of that. But yeah. she's so strong. Have you seen the pictures of Raquel Gonzalez picking up Braun Strowman? By the way, no. Um, <laughs> fucking so strong. Um, she's great as well. Like, re- I'm, I'm. All, I mean, I know me and you, Ross, are always bang on about NXT's women division, women's division. But to bring up someone like with all the stat talent they had, and to bring someone like Raquel up to put the title on her, like, it's just brilliant. Like, I'm, I'm really happy that they've gone down the route of making a, a heel, a proper heel again, because the, the 
the beginning of her reign, she was caught in that kind of Rhea Ripley kind of tweener. And I, and I just don't like that booking, really. Um, it's not. It's just not my bag. Um, and I much prefer someone to be either face or a heel. And she's gone down the heel route with the um, stuff with um, Moon with the post-match attack and stuff. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy with it. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'm very happy with this moving along to the round table. What about you, lads? <laughs> Five seconds. Okay, okay. Progress. It wasn't like a, it wasn't a banger of an episode or anything. The last progress episode, again, solid wrestling all the way through. But I think the last couple, I think I said before that I was really into, and this was another solid episode. And but um, the big, the best thing about it though, they've changed the commentary team, uh, got rid of that Crowley fella, and brought in a more traditional commentator, and it makes heaps of difference. The show, just like the production, everything like that feels so much better just from one simple commentary change. And I'm over the moon about it. And now I'm really looking forward to getting that a combination of a really good progress card that we got like a more a couple of weeks ago, four weeks ago, and with a good commentary team. Because actually I... the fella, that hustle Malone, is it, actually works a lot better with um with the, the new guys, the straight man rather than before. So I, I said um, privately, so I, I caught up on a few weeks' shows, but I haven't seen the most recent show with the change in commentary. Um, and the most recent shows I watched, I watched about three back to back to back because I couldn't sleep one night. Well, I, you know, I watched them slash doze, listened to them type of thing. And I actually thought the commentary like had, like, I, I thought they had good chemistry as far as like back and forth, like, a, you know, like a comedy duo type of thing. Like, I actually quite enjoyed listening to them. Um, but I don't. I withhold my judgment about calling wrestling matches at this time. But they, the re, what I'm getting at is they've 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 made this Crowley an on-screen character now, right? Yeah, he's a, he's Elijah's manager. No, I think I I think that'll work because it. I don't know. I can't remember who watched the New Year's Eve um, literal death match. Do you remember that the the carnival thing that Crowley? Um, promoted and Elijah was the winner of that. So like Crowley, like, like, so just in case anyone has no idea what I'm talking about, there was like this viral video that was shot cinematically during lockdown and it had maybe like 20 uh, UK Brit wrestlers, probably the highest profile ones were Session Moth Martina and Chuck Mambo. Um, and on New Year's Eve, it was on YouTube for free um, and the, it was just like all of the, the the idea was it was like a horror movie where they all died one by one during this big match, and anyway, it was it was all promoted by uh, Crowley. It was called like Crowley's Carnival or something, right? And then the winner was Elijah. Elijah was the only person that survived at the end. So it's almost like you know, I wonder if Progress had this plan for a long time. But anyway, that, I, I thought that was kind of cool. But I haven't seen the show yet. I look forward to watching it. I that kind of you know that that kind of excited me, and it's just nice to me. I, I mate, I don't care if it's the worst storyline ever. I'm just glad to have some stories being told again with progress. Yeah, and, 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 there's, and there's some, and they're pointing towards some good stuff. I mean, Spike, uh, obviously, like Spike versus Ara, which I assume is going to happen at the first live show i mean fuck me i'm i'm salivating for it this new spike who's suddenly this fucking tight as fuck fantastic wrestler against kara it's brilliant i mean just the whole build for that feud and what's going to be the um yeah the eventual match i'm i'm all over it 
Yeah, I may I and it's been said before, but I I just cannot wait to get to a progress show live. Like I, I you know, let's hope Boris gives us some good news next week or whatever and um I just I just cannot wait to get into the ballroom, mate. Or wherever the I, fuck they do it. I'll go outside, whatever. I, I I thought I couldn't be more excited to see progress live again until watching double or nothing. <laughs> it's made me even more more excited. And and on top and like a, this is a wrestling podcast, not a cricket podcast. But if anyone saw any of the tests from Edge Baston today, where there were fans in attendance singing songs, and like I was just like, yeah, it was just I got goosebumps. I was really emotional. So I just I can't wait, mate, to be in a crowd. I, I can't. Um, so roundtable, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our main event of the evening. This week's roundtable gives us the infamous Walt. Disney and the Giants fate. This is the Wrestling Should Be Fun Roundtable. Ever felt like this? How strange things happen. Are you going round the twist? Have you ever, ever felt like this? How strange things happen. Are you going round the twist? If all the king's horses and all the king's right. So, um, who we got up up top? Who's who's taken the the death seat for roundtable here this week? This is the main event, by the way. This is the round. Wrestling should be fine. Roundtable. Um, this is where we bring uh, more topics that may have a little bit more meat on the bone, or maybe not. They could be serious. They could be silly. Uh, we not we like to do at least two a week. Sometimes more than that. This week, I think we've got two on the card, boys. And um, I can't remember who's doing it. Chaffee, are you going to lead us off? Yeah, so uh, my roundtable for this week is obviously we've seen all these uh, WWE have been making co- cost-cutting measures, um, and there's been a lot of speculation that they're doing this to increase profitability before a potential sale. So my question for you guys uh, were, if WWE were to be sold, who would you like to see them be bought by? And if they were bought by some big media conglomerate such as Disney, do you think that they would be better or worse off than they are now? Hmm. That is a poser, isn't it? Um, for me, in terms of if they'd be better off, it's really hard to say, isn't it? Because when you look at the kind of um, the testimonials of, of what people like and don't like about the WWE, it seems to be by and large negative, right? Like, unless you're like me and just like everything. Like, Shafi's pretty much entirely stopped watching, right, Shelf? Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe watch three pay-per-views a year at this point, I'd say. Rum watches NXT, which is an extension of WWE, and that brings in the concept of does whoever buys WWE, do they have any interest in something like NXT or do they just want the bigger, broader entertainment value of the WWE brand? Um, There's a lot of questions to be had. Disney obviously are largely involved in um, children's entertainment. So I'm assuming that um, the kind of attempts in the last year or so to try and be a bit more out there with specifically the kind of fiend stuff would that be an issue going forward would they want even less of that sort of stuff 
I know that it's that is not for everyone, but um, it's been a key point of the last year or so that it's been a bit more kind of adult led. Um, I think that's a, like for me that is a possibility of like that 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 they'd be worse off because that period when was that period when it was like the proper PG era when it was like Cena was the champion and DX were DX but not DX and it like it was just shite when it like the like the like the product got worse because of it. Yeah, two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. Yeah, like uh, just to just to jump in quickly there, Ross, with uh, Disney. So they have been, um, I believe, acquiring and making sort of more adult-related content because obviously they've got a, a network, Disney Plus. Right, right. Okay. And they've been, you know, I think things like The Mandalorian and some of their other properties have been more sort of adult-based. Right. Okay. Okay. And that's what my, my actual take on this is is centered around that. I think uh, I think WWE's biggest issue since 2001 has been it's lacked any uh, identity. I think it's tried been trying to do too many things at once and not really achieving anything. Um, and when it's tried to go down a particular line, the PG one's a good example, it's just flopped and it's just been stagnant. I, I think that Disney, the synergy between Disney and WWE makes so much sense that I'm actually surprised it hasn't happened um, because for like, because Disney, obviously what they've done very well at it, obviously the, their own portfolio, but I'm really thinking of, of Marvel and the Star Wars universe and a lot of the stuff that they've spun off from that is yeah, the idea. Is the Simpsons, don't forget the Simpsons. Oh, is it the, oh yeah, Simpsons on Disney, doesn't it? But the, but they, but I'm thinking specifically around like the, um, that like the Marvel and the Star Wars stuff, it's it's really about big characters, big action with that kind of their particular kind of sense of humor goes in there. Which you know, it, and this kind of stuff, it, it's not for me personally. I'm not really a superhero person or anything like that. Um, but I, I should be clear, I'm not a superhero, but also I'm not really into that kind of superhero stuff. Um, but it's it's obviously violently popular, like unbelievable numbers that these things do, and it's centered around a lot of the tenants that that WWE could could form to. And I think in the cross promotional opportunity, the merch which which the which the Disney portfolio is fantastic at, I just think it all glues in really really well together and i think disney have been very very good at packaging these characters whether it be you know um like a a, a drew mcintyre or a fiend ross or, or or any of these kind of guys i think in the kind of more wider um disney marketing hands i think suddenly i, I think wb could because because then because because another issue as well is like i think we have a lot of things is, is wb cool it's definitely not while um Disney have done very well at making their products seem cool and must-see. And I think the, the marketing arm of Disney would, I think... And obviously a big part of this is just probably Vince dying or being away from it all. But I think... Uh, and, and that's why also everyone talks about succession planning and Triple H and Steph and all that stuff. I, I think a bigger picture is actually someone like Disney getting their hooks into it and taking it in their own direction, um, which would be, I think, overall better for the WWE product. It would be... Like it would, it would give them, it would give them direction. It would make them part of a bigger family rather than at the moment when every time they they've done incredibly well of negotiating TV deals because of how much how like big content is these days. But but the point is they're always always seem to be this weird kind of 
dodgy stepchild in every network they go to, but being under the Disney banner, they are actually part of something cohesive. Um, I think it's an absolute no-brainer for both entities to do it. Do you think that um, there's a certain element of ownership that is a concern for, for like Vince, like leaving his baby to a conglomerate rather than because like he's such an autonomous person, isn't he? Like yeah. he's got his hands and everything. Yeah. But that's and, the, but if I was Disney, that would be part part of my terms is is Vince would get a buyout and step out of the company. That would be that'd be part of it. He, you, maybe give him a, a non-exec director role, but um, that makes But I'm but, but like I'm coming to, to come at I'm coming at it from a point of view of like he's someone who's led it in that way. Mm. Do you think that, that that's how he would see the company? being led by somebody at like through Disney, whether it be they employ Shane to, to like do that or, or do you, and do you think that he expects someone like Shane to be doing that? Or do you think he's like, this job is stressful as hell and it's better off like that my son isn't, you know, given the pressure of it. Well, you're applying rational and impassioned logic to a deranged sociopath. <laughs> Because he obviously doesn't think like that. He's an incredibly strange and weird man. Like you can't. It, it, all he, the only thing he would think about is purely about his ego. So it's like he wouldn't want to sell it to Disney because he wants control and he wants like, the man is 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 WWE to him, and that that's how he think. It's not he doesn't give a shit about his son. Yeah, because like all. surely Shane, Stephanie, and Triple H through Stephanie have been like knowing that you know it's going to get passed down to them at some point. And for Vince to almost be on his deathbed and then sell it to a conglomerate, it's like such well, a... I, I, I think it's more like it's happened the other way, is that Vince dies and then um, they sell it to Disney. Shane would be fucking love to be out there. He'd love to get like Disney money and, and go and do his own thing. Maybe get some exec producer credits on fucking Hulk 8 or some shit. Like, yeah, like S- Stefan Triple H, I think as long as they... I think they'd you know, could retain roles in there and Disney would be happy with them retaining roles in there. Like, it's, it, it, it just makes sense, but just Vince has got to die. It I'm is. not clamouring for it, by the way. I probably, I probably wouldn't watch it, like, um, still. And, and I know it'd probably mean bad things for, it could mean bad things for NXT, but, you know, like, I'm just thinking purely from a, a commercial point of view. I've got my finance consultant hat on and uh, I think it's, uh, when Vince dies, it's the way to go. If, if it did happen, like what would happen to like the publicly floated shares? Like, how does that work? You can tell that I'm just a big man child. I don't understand how money works. Yeah. Well, well, but but the thing is, is that dis is that Disney like, um, well, there's multiple way around it, Dom. It's probably not not sexy uh, podcast content, but um, they you can you can keep the, you can keep them in, in existence. Disney may just want to have all, all Disney need is is fifty one percent ownership to have full control, you know, yeah, right. and that they, they can keep them there or, you know, or what they can do is, you know, they could just, or they can just buy up the stock is, is the other option that, you know, that, that happens in a few of these cases, but I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't think Disney would, uh, I don't think Disney would care too much about having hundred percent ownership anyway. I, I have a few very non-financial uh, ideas about it and just going on like so Shappy's first question I think was like who would you like to see them buy, bought by and my first thought was uh, JJG Productions Jim, John and Glenn I'd love to see uh, the old progress lads take over WWE that would be interesting um, but 
if it was Disney, um, what, um, like, imagine, like, firstly, being able to get rid of one of your two subscription services. Like, it would save me money every month if I didn't have to pay for WWE Network and Disney Plus. Like, that would, it would save me a tenner a month for a start. So that's, that's a plus, big tick in the pro side. Um, I just wonder, like, Disney, you, you mentioned, Brummett, about, like, they're very good at seeming quite cool. And a lot of that is even, like, the old retro stuff is quite cool. Like, people my age seem to really, like, embrace, oh, when I was a kid, I used to love the Aristocats, so let's watch the Aristocats. I wonder if if WWE or went to Disney, if, if, like, you know, there'd be a real, like, Hulk Hogan resurgence on, like, you know, the Disney Plus network. And people would be like, oh, cool, now, we never had WWE Network, but now we can watch our childhoods, you know, and, like, there might be this retro thing. Um, I was also interested in, like, I wonder if WWE did go to the Disney Network, Disney Plus, I wonder if Disney might streamline the programming just down to, like, one weekly show and, you know, major events on weekends. Yeah. Like, I think that could be a good move for WWE if they streamlined it down to one two-hour weekly show. I think, I don't know, maybe downsizing the content. If they weren't that worried about TV ratings, that could be a plus for the company, like, as far as that's content really goes. Yeah, I've not thought about that, Don. That's a, that's a, that's a really interesting shout. I think, I think they would. I think definitely, whether it be be your model or another one but i think the number of hours per week would definitely decrease i think that's a that's a really interesting show and the last the last thing that i thought would be the coolest thing if disney bought wwe would be can you imagine like the wwe universe section of like disneyland like how much fun, <laughs> yeah. honestly like how, how much fun would that be to go to like you're walking around and you're in the like you know like there's Star Wars land at the moment. They build it all to look like Star Wars. Well, imagine if you rocked up to Disneyland and there was a whole park that was all wrestling themed. That would be so much fun. It would but also I'm, be the perfect. It would also be the perfect place for a physical Hall of Fame, mate. That's exactly yeah, exactly, mate, exactly. Physical Hall of Fame. You know, there'd be like you know a ride that's like the Tombstone Pile Driver or something. You know, but also just like photo destination would get its own ride. <laughs> exactly like, it would just be great like all the stuff that people do at like some of those fan fests for wrestlemania like you could go and do your own entrance and record it and you could go and like call a match with like a professional commentator or something you know and get it on tape and just all that cool stuff that i've never done and i mean i'm i'm 34 so i mean like, i'm not going to be first in line for it or anything but if you spoke to thirty, oh, you know, eight to seventeen-year-old me and said that was a thing, I would have had my plane ticket booked to fucking LA for that. Like that, I would have loved that as a kid or a teenager. Like that, that would have been the best ways, thing. And that goes two ways. So you've got like an eight-year-old kid who's, you know, just seen the new. Um, I, I don't know what a superhero is these days. Super Dave, go see uh, see the new Super Dave movie. Hulk, Iron Man, they're they're superheroes, aren't they? go see like oh, see the new iron man uh, thing so i'm going to go to disney do the iron man ride and then they go to the wwe section they may not know much about it but then they see all these cool big larger than life superheroes and do all the kind of things that you talk about dom and then next week they're watching um wwe nitro on um disney yeah like, i don't i just think i don't know in my mind i was like fuck that'd be cool if there was that part of a disneyland park like i would love it 
Yep. Being able to just get in the ring and hit the ropes would be fun if they had that. Yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. Now I'm just doing fanboy fantasy camp, but yeah. What, what's the other options? Do you think BritBox might buy it? <laughs> it is the best of British, Nigel McGuinness. <laughs> Could you imagine the leading to, to, to WWE Raw followed by Darling Buds of May all over it? If it if it meant that Heartbeat's theme song was on the <laughs> WWE programming somehow, I'd be for it. da 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 one of the greatest Liverpool Maxi Rodriguez chant Maxi Maxi Rodriguez runs down the wing anyway didn't Ross didn't you have a Millie McKenzie one uh yeah Millie Millie McKenzie suplexes girls for me really good what was your inspiration for that that Ross So I th- what I think would be really interesting is that, like Vince, has got this reputation for probably what maybe thirty years of almost an I- almost this idea that he's almost embarrassed by professional wrestling, mm. and that he's been looking for this legitimate entertainment enterprise through you know WWE films and you know all di- XFL and all these different ventures he's done. I think the interesting thing is that him selling it to Disney, like they would finally be legitimate. Yeah, good point. You know, WWE oh. would finally be legitimate. Although and also Vince would then go around calling himself the modern day Walt Disney for about five years. Well, is- well, I mean, he's a big Trump supporter, and Walt Disney was a, a Nazi, right? So, <laughs> um, so yeah, the politics. Side, yeah, so there's that side. Um, also, like, there's another rumor around Vince is that he never wanted, since like Austin and Rock, and he's never wanted WWE superstars to get too big because he's worried they'll go to Hollywood and things like that. Um, if Disney's, if WWE's under Disney's umbrella, that kind of alleviates that worry because wrestlers can still go to Hollywood whilst remaining under the WWE banner. Like, there's going to be massive avenues for cross promotion. Um, you know, and as you said, in terms of the rides, you know, they'll see these superheroes and they'll see these WWE superstars and see them as being equals. You know, being able to put, you know, WWE on that sort of level with genuine celebrities is, is can only be beneficial for the brand, right? Yeah, and, and, and if you just, I mean, you just picture it on your on your telly, you've just got those lined up. You've got you've got Disney, Pixar. Marvel, Star Wars, Simpsons, WWE. I mean, fucking hell. Great for them, isn't it? England cricket. (laughs) 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 Sorry, carry on. Yeah, I mean, I think that most of my ideas have pretty much been covered. Um, Like, I fully accept, you know, some of Ross's concerns that they could take the... Well, I was going to say they could take it in a childish direction, but We've already been, I think we've already been there. And yeah, I think they've sort of shown that they've got a portfolio and an appetite to do sort of more adult material. Yeah. Um, I, think my, I think my bigger concern is what happens to NXT, really. Because similar to Brum, like NXT is the product that I'm more passionate about. Unless they do, unless they do the, you know, that sort of split where WWE is the children's brand and NXT is the adult brand. 
Or, or or NXT becomes a completely live show that you have to go to Disneyland to watch. Well, that would fucking suck. Well, that, that, that's WCW early 90s, I think. Yeah, yeah. Which was great. <laughs> <laughs> but like, they always say you look at the crowds on those shows and they just, they just get like drunk people and stuff coming in, just falling asleep for a couple of hours and, and things. But yeah, I just thought it'd be interesting to hear what you guys' thoughts were, you know, were WWE to go down that route, because it's not really something that's ever sort of been on the table before, but sort of seems like there's more potential now than perhaps there's ever been. Yeah, I think my, my TLDR on it is just, as a fan, I don't want it because of what Ross said about NXT, but as a financial consultant, I would I think it'd happen. I think it should happen. Cool. Cool. Mate, that's, that's a good chat, that. That's a really good chat. I love that. Um, and I think that there is a second roundtable that I haven't prepared for. Yeah, this is mine. Um, talking about uh, the budget cuts, um, probably the most surprising one was Braun Strowman, who re- reportedly is one of the few that had like a million dollar contract. Um, and I just, just wanted to have a little chat about the fact that through the death of the territories, booking big men is so, so difficult because there's nowhere for them to go. Once you've built them up as a beast, there's only really one way for them to, to, to go. It's just down, isn't it? And like the more that they're on the same show, they they become stale. They they start to lose matches. And then, then they lose the aura of being a beast. So you have to book them like, like Brock Lesnar and have, have them come in for like, stretches of a year and go away for a bit which is kind of what i'm saying about the territories was is basically the fact that they would be able to go to a territory and, and have fresh matchups and fresh feuds they kind of do that through lesnar but just by giving him six months off but for someone like braun Strowman, who's just been on the roster for how many years now i don't know six seven years there's someone his size it's just so hard to book when there's nowhere for him to go. Like beyond a big show kind of career where it's just, you're constantly changing from heel to face, heel to face. I don't know what else you can really do. Yeah, no, I don't know. Uh, yeah, with you, Ross. I'm not sure what the answer is. Yeah, like you're, you're spot on there, Ross. I'll, I'll jump in first. I think that over time, I think that you'll see a lot more uh, big men around the mould of, like, your Donovan Dijakovic or um, Keith Lees that are, like, really just athletic. Like, they're almost like, you know, NFL players, athletic, you know, like, really massive, but they can run the 100, you know, 40-yard dash in four seconds type of thing. And they can just do, you know, their Frosby flops just like the cruiserweights. Because I just think that, like, the modern wrestling fan are just, like, they're just so unwilling to accept any, like, any wrestlers that aren't seen as, you know, like work rate guys, I suppose. And like, that's not a slight because I fucking love five-star matches as well. Like, I mean, I, 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 I find it hard to sit through Braun Strowman versus Kane, but it's just, it's just the way that wrestling has gone. Like, I think people would rather, like people like the draw of looking at a big man and go, holy shit, that guy's huge. He'd win in a real fight. But then once the bell rings, I think people now are like, oh, this is clearly not as athletic or not as, 
not as good as watching uh, Johnny Gargano and Adam Cole. Um, but, but I think, Dom, I think even if you had that, and even if that's what people are clamouring for, I still think Ross's issue, which is fundamentally a narrative one, is is there, you know? Like, what, you know, after they've been, after you've Dungeon of Doom them, and the face has gone over the big, the big guy, like I said, you can maybe give him a face run, you can maybe have him come back and save the guy that just beat him in the, his feud with the next big monster, but then what, where do they go? Like, narratively, like, but booking someone who looks an absolute monster and then when they can no longer either squash people or have the big battle with that, like the big one-off battle with the face where they eventually drop off, like, what happens to them? Like, it, yeah. it just doesn't, it just doesn't, it is, and it's not like a, this isn't a criticism to anyone or, or anything. It's, I think Ross has summed it up really well. This isn't like, oh, WWE book, books big, big men badly or anything like that. Ross is just fundamentally right. When you can't Andre them, you know, and stick them in a different territory for that for that eight week run or whatever they want to do. It's it's so it's so impossible. Like because then because as soon as they've lost, like yeah, as soon as they've lost their mystique and been beaten for that first time, what 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 can you do with them? Uh, unlike like I said, unlike in your case, Tom, where you've got the the really exciting ones to watch. I just I, I just I just don't see the answer. I think yeah. Well, like- Sorry, I was going to say just an example of what you're saying, Brummett. For me, like it's not just WWE. Like I look at Lance Archer in AEW, and I'm like, well, that guy. How long has that guy got left of like being built up and then losing? Yeah, 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 yep, yeah, completely. Sorry, Ross. Um, I was just about to say, like, in terms of a career, perhaps the last big man to truly have a great run is probably Kane, and they managed to keep him fresh to a point. With the Team Hell No stuff, um, they um, had slightly different versions of, of the character. Obviously, the fact that he was kind of the uh, over-the-top character helps that. Like, But if it's just Braun Strowman, who's just either part of a stable and a big guy with a beard, or not in a stable and a guy with a beard, like, you're just so limited to it. Um, that's, that's, that's the one character that I can think of that was booked in a fairly exciting way throughout his whole career as a big man I I don't personally I don't know if I would agree on Kane Uh, like he had longevity clearly he did you know he had the most pay-per-view matches in WWE Um, I don't know how many Kane matches I would go back and watch I don't know how many Kane storylines I would go back and watch I think that if he didn't have that early association with The Undertaker and that incredible debut, he probably would have been released a long time before he decided to hang it up. Um, I think, you know, he was doing a lot of dross. He was doing a lot of dross. I'd I'd actually go, yeah, like one step further and say that um, in terms of... um, In terms of retaking minutes of my life back the best way to do that would be if Kane never existed I think the amount of times I've watched him and been bored is such an unbelievable level and, and I, you know Babylon 97 like fucking incredible right but like ever since then bored 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 that's that's no, way that's way too harsh from it he's but, done loads he's done loads of interesting things since 1997 but oh, most of, but most of them were 15 years ago my most recent stuff that I, I enjoyed with tag team with X Pac, maybe that's it. 
that's all I'm giving. I like it's it's in ring work is what it is. It was just solid. I, I didn't think you know. I never. I'm not going to go back and watch any K matches ever again. But I'm, I, I'm not saying he's a bad wrestler. I'm, I'm not saying anything. Like that. I'm just saying it's boring. I'm just, but because I, I, like, I, sorry, go I, I, th- I thought there were a couple of evolutions of the character that were interesting over the years. Like I, I quite liked it when he was. He, I can't remember exactly. My timeline's a bit fuzzy, but there was a bit when he started calling himself the Devil's Favorite Demon. And he started cut and he and he started cutting promos that were more wordy and articulate, and almost like Jericho in a way, actually. And then he um and he actually won the I think it was like the SmackDown World Title for a while and had a pretty hot run there. I thought it was pretty cool. And then eventually the Undertaker came back and they wrestled for the millionth time, I think. But um, was there and there was like a buried alive match with the Undertaker there somewhere? That was I mean I know that's a long time. That's probably two thousand and four or something. Um, there are a couple of evolutions, I think, that that did create some interest anyway. And Ross mentioned Team Hell No. That was good fun, right, wasn't it? I mean, I know he's tagging with the best wrestler probably of our generation, but... Yeah. No, that that was good. Um, but then when Brian won the belt, they were going to feud, weren't they, Kane and Brian? Which was just going to be terrible. <laughs> um, yeah. Didn't they? I think they even had a match, didn't they? Yeah, wasn't that in, in my mind it was like they were they were recreating Benoit's title run. Didn't didn't they throw Kane at him first as well? They have a habit of doing that and I, I just felt like it Didn't uh, they flaming table valued the champion? I I swear that they, that in that match they did a flaming table. Oh yeah, they did with, with uh dra- yeah, with Dragon and Kane. They did do a flaming table, yeah. That sounds way better than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I know people talk about the team Hell No run, but what you've got to remember is like the Shield and Brian Danielson was so hot at that point that even fucking they got Ryback like had an exciting match. So like Kane was just literally get, taking the rub off like the best other wrestlers going, like and him just being. There. I think you could have put anyone in that slot and it could have been really entertaining. Steve Blackman, I'd have preferred to see that. <laughs> 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 We're def- <laughs> definitely going to play the song there. <laughs> I think um, just, just like in summary though, like, like, the big man in wrestling. Now that the now that there's a few more um, promotions around in terms of Impact, NWA, AEW, WWE, New Japan, all the other indies that are getting a bit more sizable. Like perhaps there's there's hope for the big men. Like Braun, if he so wishes to carry on a wrestling career, don't know if he does. But but if he does, like there's options for him. And he, and he'll be a fresh character. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I don't think any of us disagree with your fundamental point that you know without the territories, it's very easy for these guys to get overexposed and to lose the aura that they had. And you know, you summed it up very succinctly that they go from being unbeatable to, let's be honest, in most cases, comedy characters. Um, yeah. yeah. And like Dom obviously said about Dijakovic and. To be honest, I actually disagree with Dom on this one. I don't... 
Braun Strowman's a bigger star than Dijakovic ever will be. Um, or oh, T-Bar hate. You know, and it's not about wrestling. It's the same that, you know, we had this conversation that uh, Ricochet said on Twitter a couple of weeks ago that he could do anything Io Shirai could do much better, and she, but she couldn't do half of the things that he can do. Like, it's not... Wrestling's not about moves, mm. you know? And I actually... It's great that Dijakovic can do all those moves. It's fantastic. But I actually think that it... it in my opinion, it actually devalues him because wh- what it actually does, in my perception, is... It takes a seven foot guy and makes him look five foot six. It takes away what's special about him. He's a giant. You know, why does he need to be doing moonsaults? Or it, to me, it makes him, it takes away his aura rather than adds to it. Um, whereas, like, to go back to a match I referenced earlier, Cody and uh, Red Velvet versus Shaq and Jay Cargill, like, Shaq's obviously a massive dude and he wasn't doing moonsaults but he gave across this great aura because of how big he was. Now, obviously he couldn't do that week in week out, which is what the crux of this conversation is about, but he still, there aren't that many seven foot people around, you know, there's still something special about that. Yeah. And I don't, it's the same with Archer, to be honest, that top rope walk into the moonsault is great. But once you've seen it a couple of times, it's, it's not special anymore, is it? And, and, but actually, Chef, I, I, that's my reason why I think the second part of Ross's um, hypothesis, I disagree with a bit, because he's saying, you know, now there are loads of options for this guy, these guys. I don't think it's about the freshness. I think it's like in the territories, people didn't fucking know who this dude was until he turned up in fucking in their town in Alabama or whatever, because they've not been watching like Puerto Rican television. Like, so they just don't fucking know that these guys exist until fucking Andre walks in and like, who the fuck is this motherfucker? Like, but I've got the network. I can watch Andre. I can watch Giant Gonzalez. I can watch Carly. I can watch Big Show. Just what bringing out another tall guy, like it's some fucking like carnival freak show and say, look at how tall this man is. We're going to make him fight a little man. Like, I'm not like, I've, can't give a shit. I've seen that match a million times. So not only do I think of someone like Braun Strowman now and not think, oh well, no, he's had his initial his initial run. I'm not that interested in. When he walks out, I'm not that interested just because he's a big fella. Because there are big fellas on the telly, and that's it. And that's just unfortunate. I think why this system like doesn't work because because people aren't fucking going live to the show and seeing this like this incredible guy who's then beating up their hero and then having an amazing like feud with them because you've seen that happen with just a bunch of different guys a million times. And that actually does circle back to, I think Dom's point about the, then it does come down to work rate. And then that's why it kind of falls off. So I actually, I disagreed with Dom at first. And now I've gone, <laughs> gone full circle and I'm agreeing with him. Maybe I, may, Oh, sorry. I was going to say, maybe I've come around as well. Maybe I've changed my <laughs> idea because I was thinking, like, just when you were talking about, oh, going to see it in person, like, I think that maybe there is, there is still a market for that in person. Like, people will be like, oh, you know, I wouldn't mind going and have a look, having a look at this big show and see if he's really that big. Like, and I just, I mean, I'm no big show. Like, I'm, I'm six foot six and I'm, you know, heavily built. But I still get it every time I go to the pub. Some slack jaw yokel comes up to me and says, do you play basketball? What size are your feet? 
um, how many pints can you drink in one sitting? Um, you know, like, uh, you know, when I, anytime I travel through like uh, an Eastern country, I always get jokes about like, oh, can you buy condoms and shit like this? Like it, I do. I, and, and I'm, I'm big, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a giant. So like, I think I, I can see there is still some like general populace interest in big men and like just wanting to look at them whether they can do a moonsault or not, I suppose. So maybe I've changed my mind, actually. Ross, I cut you off. Sorry, mate. Oh, I was just going to make a joke of um, would would Brum be interested in Braun if he came out on Impact as B. Morrissey? <laughs> <laughs> D. Ma. The, um, I am... Um, well, I, I, I was thinking, well, listening to Dom, I'm reading between the lines, I think Dom's booking Big Show to win uh, Super Strong Style this year, right? <laughs> Imagine that, that to end Kara's reign, show beats him in three minutes. I'm all over it. Big right hand. But it'd be okay as long as it was the big show from 2000 where he's wearing jeans and a singlet. Yeah. Fucking love that. With, with the, with the, is that, that when he had that weird, like, kind of square, Ameri- like, kind <laughs> of American military haircut? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, he did. That was with. With Lesnar, like the next year, yeah. When he was like the first time he won, it was like WrestleMania 2000 look when he had like the ponytail that was wet. Yeah. Yeah. He looked like um, that um, character. Is it Paul Blart? <laughs> the mall cop. <laughs> What's his name? Kevin something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so just confirm. Ross, the answer to your question, the only way to book big men is to put them in jeans, singlet, and a square cut haircut. <laughs> and, and, and rent them out to shopping centres. <laughs> That's it. If Ross, someone said to me... Going to be at Westfield. If, so, if someone said to me now, though, like, you can pay £10 to go and watch Big Show smoke a pack of cigarettes, like, all in a row, I probably would do it. <laughs> like that's always that's always my favorite big show fact is that like he was just an absolute chain smoker like how what would cigarettes look like in his hand <laughs> anyway so it's probably really enough. Don was gonna say that he was a chain wrestler then i was like i don't think he is <laughs> um part of the chain gang uh all right Let's uh, let's round this thing down. Book a bingo. E-I-N-G-O and bingo was his name Oh, This is Book a Bingo. That's the theme song. Well done, Dom. I, I'm in charge this week. I actually won it two weeks ago. Uh, so I get to put my feet up here and relax. Let me grab the spreadsheet up. Punch I'll in. as well. No Connolly to fight with, where he does his typical, oh, actually, lads, I've got a really shit one. And then just, like, fucking... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, books Ulysses. And you're like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> books Ulysses! <laughs> That's my favourite reference ever. Also, shout out to, to Dom for, for getting um, Laura back into progress. Yeah. yeah. And one yeah. thing is, we talked about Laura DiVito and Jodie Fleisch last week, and they're on the card. So, <laughs> well, um, yeah. So, honestly, what, 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 what do you think about what we're going to go with Samoa Joe versus Brian Danielson this week, Dom? Um, I'll tell you what, lads, uh, this is a fantastic matchup. Um, and I, I actually, this is maybe the one I'm most excited about ever. I can't wait to hear your takes. 
Brian Christopher versus Vladimir Kozlov. <laughs> okay. Jump it. I'll, I'll fucking hell, I'll do it and get it over and done with. Um, so, um, I I am going to go with um, the, the, the Stone Cold um, hit and run story. And then, and um, Rikishi comes out, does the whole same thing, and it turns out it's Rikishi. The crowd are so shocked. How could Rikishi run over Stone Cold Steve Austin? He's such a beloved guy. And then he comes out and he goes, "I, I, I didn't do it for me. I did it. I did it for Kozlov." And, then, <laughs> and, and people's like, "What? Who's Kozlov? I've never heard of this guy." Koz, Kozlov's music hits. Um, and then he goes, and then and Michael Cole comes out and it's like, what do you mean, Rikishi? Who is this guy? Why would you do it for him? And it's like, he says WWE really funnily. And what what do you mean? He says, says double double E. And it's like, it sounds really funny. And I, I was just, I found it so funny when, because he, he was in the car with me. He was on his tryout and he said this. And I was driving and then the I wasn't concentrating because I was laughing at the double double E thing that Vladimir Kozlov did, and I just hit Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> and then, obviously, like I had to cover it up because, like, Stone Cold Steve Austin's a big star, and no one really knew about the double double E joke, which I found. <laughs> so now I'm in a situation where I've got to do this horrible thing, and I've got I've nearly killed Stone Cold Steve Austin. I feel terrible about it. I'm still a good guy. Um, and then, and then. <laughs> who call come out and they're like are you fucking kidding you nearly killed called Steve Austin you brought out this new fella who we don't even know about and Rikishi's like honestly hear him do the double double E thing and then Vladimir Kozlov gets them the, the the mic and does the double double E thing and the crowd go wild because it is very <laughs> right but then and they obviously too cool laugh because it's funny but they're like look it is funny we see that Rikishi but it's also you know we, we're part of a stable you can't just you can't just ignore us and not introduce us to double double E man. And and then and then Rikishi's going, Oh look, I don't I just I think we've had our fun now. Our dancing was quite fun, but it's nowhere near as funny as the double double E thing, is it? That's really funny. And they're like, No, the dancing's funny, do your worm thing. And then Scotty does the worm and then and the crowd like kind of like it, but then Kozlov gets the mic and goes double double E and the crowd <laughs> go even wilder because double double E's better than the worm, isn't it? And then and 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 Scotty can't even take it. He just bursts out crying and storms off. And then, and Wall is furious. Uh, Brian Christopher is furious. And he's just pointing at Kozlov and goes, you have ruined the best thing in my career, which is too cool, with your double-double-E thing. And then, so I'm going to challenge you, main event of WrestleMania, if if you win, you... Um, you can get to be Rikishi's friend forever and I'll leave you alone and I'll leave the company. But if I win, you no longer get to say double double E again. <laughs> and they have an absolutely in, like incredible um well, I was it's not quite a five star match because they have like a they like they miss like there's a sloppy rope st- spot in the middle and because it's live they can't edit it so it doesn't really work. But it's probably about four point five to four point seven five star match. Um and then and uh, and and uh, Christopher's got him down, and like he does the thing where he like he gets he's like getting Kozlov to come up so he can hit whatever shit finisher he has, and then Kozlov just shouts at him, 
double double E, and he's petrified Lawler like with so many different emotions because he's never heard it said that loud. Some some of actually people struggle in the crowd. He shouts it that loudly, and then he Kozlov then beats him with a roll up, and the crowd go wild because then Kozlov can still say double double E, which is really funny. Absolutely outstanding level of booking to start with her. He's only gone and booked that bloody book. Ulysses. <laughs> yeah, that is Joycean. Special guest referee, Stephen Dedalus. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, uh, I wish I knew the quote about his address. You know, number three, High Street in Deliri, Dublin, Ireland, Earth, the universe. I'm just giving Ross and Chaffee some more time to think. I'm definitely going to edit that out. So so my take is that Too Cool are super over. You know, they've become really popular. It's sort of the year 2000. And Kozlov comes into WWE and he comes in as this very suave, like rich. Suave's probably not the right word, but rich uh, Russian oil baron. Um, and he's got so much swagger. And it seems like he's got everything in his life, whereas... You know, too cool was sort of just doing their goofy thing with that guy who's got his ass hanging out. Um, but Brian Christopher can sort of every now and again he'll just see out of his corner that Kozlov's just he's just staring at Scotty too hotty, and he's just not really too sure what's going on. So he says to Scotty, you know, like what's the score? Like why is Kozlov, you know, always always looking at you and. You know, why do you go a bit quiet when he's around? And Scotty's like, no, no, nothing's going on. You know, like, you're my, you know, you're my partner for life. You know, we're, we're doing really well together. We're, we're going to ride this out as the Attitude Era. We're going to be so successful. You know, I've, I've never wanted to be with any other man but you, Brian Christopher. Um, but eventually, you know, Christopher, he, he gets fed up with this because it's just week after week. You know, Kozlov's already got everything in life. He's so rich. He's just so wealthy and yet he's still got eyes for Scotty too hotty. Um, so Christopher just, just has a hissy fit. He confronts Kozlov. He's like, what's going on? Why are you always looking at, you know, Scotty's worm? What is the story? <laughs> you know, are you not happy with what you've got in life? You're so fortunate. Um, and Kozlov just looks at him and says WWE. No, that is not what he says. No, he looks at him and he says, he was mine before he was yours. And like Brian Christopher's a bit taken aback. And up on the Titantron, they bring up these, you know, pictures. We're not sure if they're doctored or not, but it's pictures of Kozlov dancing with Scotty Too Hotty before he knew Brian Christopher. Um, so Christopher gets really jealous. You know, he can't believe Scotty's kept this from him. Scotty denies it. He's like, no, these these pictures have been fake. This is, you know, this is not true. This didn't happen. I've never met Kozlov before. I've, you know, we've never danced together. That's, you're the only person I ever want to dance with. Um, so this, of course, you know, much like uh, Ric Flair versus Randy Savage at WrestleMania 8 that I blatantly stole this storyline from, <laughs> leads to a WrestleMania main event where, of course, we get a dance-off to see who can win the heart of Scotty Too Hotty. And 
you know, Brian Christopher's doing all of his, you know, signature moves. He's putting the goggles on. He's, you know, wiping away the steam. He's doing the, you know, all them funny moves. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant stuff. Can I, I need um, to describe for the podcast, Shafi just enacted the dance move where Brian Christopher spreads his arms and nods his head quickly, looking yeah, at one. That, that classic, you know, yeah. I don't know what it's, it's beyond description. Let's be honest. It's, you know, a piece of physical art. Um. And you know, it's like, oh, he's definitely, he's definitely got Scotty here. And then Kozlov breaks out the running man, and it's it's game over. Um, Christopher just he runs off into you know, crying his eyes out. He realizes that he can never live up to Kozlov's incredible moves. Um, and yeah, it ends with Kozlov lifting uh, <laughs> Scotty too hotty on his shoulder, praying him to the crowd. And uh, they go on to get married at SummerSlam. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Ross, you're in trouble here. So much trouble. Right. So mine lives in the, the AEW world and is kind of current day where um, Daniels has just lost the right to be attacking with his SCU partner, Kazarian. Um, he's struggling for confidence. He's struggling with his mental health. He's only on dark. He's losing against the likes of Lee Johnson um, week in, week out. And Matt Hardy sees a weak link and someone that he can manipulate to take their contract money and is trying to get him involved in um, his, uh, his group. What are they called? The Hardy group. I'm not sure. Um, Hardy Family Office. There you go. Hardy Family Office. Shite. <laughs> um, um, and basically says, you know, I can bring the best out of you again. I've, I was there in the in the 90s when you were coming through and we were thick as thieves trying to impress two, un, two undersized guys that, that should have never made it. And here we are both you know, in our 40s, still in the greatest company in the world. And eventually, Daniels is so low that he that he begrudgingly joins the group. And that's when Private Party um, get involved and they want a new um, security guard uh, for their um, red uh, roped kind of social events that they throw for everyone. And Kozlov turns up on Dynamite as the new security guard in his new get-up where he looks a bit like that guy from Grand Theft Auto with his, with his open Hawaiian shirt, tight shorts, no socks and shoes, and looking pretty cool and kind of suits the kind of vibe of private party. Um, and he's not really there to wrestle. He's just there um, doing the backstage skits and things. And um, Daniels is still losing, still losing, still losing, um, even though he's got uh, the might of... Matt Hardy behind him um, and Matt Hardy's finally saying to um, Daniels, like, on, like, honestly, I, I knew that you were low, but this is ridiculous. You've got to beat Kozlov or you're out. And this is the first match that Kozlov has had in years. And the crowd shit on Kozlov because he's a former WWE guy and he's not a work rate guy. And the crowd are starting to really turn on Daniels because he's gone against his his, his like true ways and they have the match and Daniels loses 
the match. And that's when he gets on the mic and he says, this, uh, this, this is it, guys. This, this is the end of the road for me. I've just lost to Kozlov and it's time for me to accept that I am the fallen angel. And that's the end of his career. And, like, obviously, Ross, you remember that, like, we're meant to be booking Brian Christopher versus Kozlov. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> talking about too cool. Christopher Daniels was not in too cool, Ross. I mean, come on. You run a very successful wrestling Twitter. Christopher Daniels and Brian Christopher are two separate people. Christopher Daniels was not in too cool at any point. That is so funny. Are you sure? Not, but he wasn't in too cool. Are you sure? <laughs> what did you think Shafi were talking about? Surely you think Brummett's been talking about too cool a lot. This must no. Be that's a- that's why <laughs> that's why he wears a do rag, isn't it? So you can't tell that he's bold. <laughs> in, I actually. What do you I, think? So you can think. Oh yeah, Brummett's going on a weird, funny. I was so. Topic. I don't get it. What do you think Shafi was then doing? Doing talking also about too cool. I was so in my brain, like trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> I, I was so excited because I'm like, where's he going? Where's he going? And like, oh, yeah, now, because it's all this, it's all this Daniel's hard stuff with private parties. Like, oh, yeah, now he's brought in. We just, it should have been a clue. half of it. It should have been a clue to us when he went present day. And Brummett, Brummett, Brummett called him Lawler three times. <laughs> oh, my God, that is so embarrassing. But that's great content, that one, yeah. Mate, that's, this is undisputedly the best book of bingo we've ever had. <laughs> like, there's nothing even close to that. That's so good. <laughs> I, I'm going to start taking the Ross. It, it, was it fucking Connolly? Was it Connolly tried that a few, like, a few weeks back where he <laughs> someone else? Yeah, he just did like Dean Malenko, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start doing that. All right, so guys, uh, this week we've got... <laughs> We've got um, Epico versus Johnny the Bull Stamboli. All right, okay, so Austin Rock's been building up for two months now. On it. <laughs> I can't tell you how, how annoyed I am because I felt that that was probably my strongest ever book of bingo. And I've <laughs> gone into a map and given you all, the, all my science working out. <laughs> well, he won't last. I think that... What's it? Wasn't Brian Christopher Curry Man in Japan? This <laughs> looking, <laughs> oh, yeah, like it is. It is. I, t- I tell you what, that is too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? I went from Tim Cole to that unbreakable triple threat match. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I've got absolutely no idea how to. Call a winner. Yeah. Ross hasn't won. I just want to put that out there. Ross has not won. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. It would be, it would be a mockery to the fine institution of fifteen weeks history of Booker Bingo. Be the next Bergen screw job if Ross wins it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? Like uh, Shaffy and Brummett, they like they were both incredible. Both of them made me laugh out loud several times. Um, Shaffy, like. I just like it was just so good seeing you do the Brian Christopher dance move on camera. That's got to go on the Patreon, um, and also the one-liner about Scotty's worm. Like that's that just popped me huge. Uh, Brummett, uh, the double double E thing. That's real. I forgot all about that. You brought it back to my mind. Uh, so good. It's very very hard for me to pick a winner, um, but I think just because. Probably because he went first. I guess we probably got to give the edge to Matt Brummett. Also because I'm pretty sure he's going to be here next week. 
<laughs> I'm actually I'm actually not here this week, so I'm gonna um, vacate my title and give it to Shafi. <laughs> I honestly it could have been a dead heat. I don't know, listeners. What do you think? Feel free to Instagram me. Uh, let me know. At wrestling should be fun. Yeah. Uh, fantastic stuff. Well played, lads. That's my favourite book of bingo ever. Yeah, I mean, just uh, the thing is, it was like me and me and Shafi started strong. But Ross blew it out of the water with our favourite segment ever. Be- best book of bingo ever. <laughs> and, you, and you can see that on Disney along with WWE as of next week. The, the whole time that he was talking, I was like, fuck, this is gonna go so long. He hasn't even introduced he hasn't even introduced Christopher yet. <laughs> This is the thing. Sorry, I know that we've gone really well. What in your head was the guys thought what was going to happen to, you know, when the crowd turned on them both? I thought it was going to be like almost like a 911 thing in, in ECW where like they'd like Khan would get the crowd back by sending out Brian Christopher. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was going to be Brian Christopher on the mic being like. <laughs> <laughs> so, like Chris Daniels, you're not too old. Look how old I am, and I'm still cool. And then he's like, Kozlov, you're not even that good of a dancer. Watch this. Next week's book of bingo now has got to be Kozlov versus Christopher Daniels versus Brian Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun, wrestling should be fun. All right, scholars, there we have another week in the bank. Wrestling should be fun, pod episode 16, or as some people want to call it, WSBF 2000. Uh, That's about it for us this week. Thank you very much to the Sultan Shappy. Thank you very much to the boss, Ross Casey, and the winner of Book of Bingo, Mr. Matthew Brummett. We'll be back next week, but thank you most importantly to you, dear listener. Don't forget, rate, review, subscribe, and most importantly, drink lots of water. Look after you, mates.